I'm Kerry Herford-Jones and it's my pleasure to welcome you to another edition in our series Explore Sailing Topics with Imray. I'm meeting up with more of the contributors that actually work with Imray and today's guest is the editor of the Mediterranean, France and Corsica pilot, Lou Haeckel. Growing up in the West Country, Lou gained a love of cruising and dinghy sailing from her father, Peter. Meeting up with her husband in 1999, she joined him as crew on a trip from the Azores to Gibraltar. And they've now been together for over 20 years, living on the Isle of Wight when they're not on their yacht, Skylax. Welcome to today's podcast, Lou Haeckel. Thank you, yes. Well, as I say, thank you for joining us and really, really good to talk to you today. We're going to talk, of course, in detail with the Med, France and Corsica pilot book that you edit, amongst many others that you're involved in. What is it that attracts you and what should attract people to cruising that area, do you think, Lou? I think because I was ongoing neighbours with France, French was the first language that most of us learned. And I guess from a sailing point of view, you would have done your cross-channel trips across to to Cherbourg and, and the other Brittany coast. It's a familiarity that we have with it. And when you're talking about Mediterranean France, it's all of the above plus some warmth and sunshine. Yeah. And what's there not to like about that? And that area, you know it very well, of course, and you spent a lot of time down there clearly researching for this pilot book. Yes, Rod first went there in 1977 when he was on his way down to the Med for the first time. For me, yeah, we've been toing and froing uh, around there for the last 20 years. It's a place I love. It's been the most established in terms of development for yachting of possibly all the coastlines. And there's the people it's all about the people of course it is not just those on the boat but the places you're going to there's a family essence running through a lot of the places you go to isn't there absolutely i mean as you'll know the sailing is a massive part of life in france we've all seen the little dinghies being towed out on wednesday afternoons for their sailing lessons and, and yeah. this sort of thing the passion for sailing down there is no less than on the atlantic coast so yeah to sort of slip into that kind of culture is pretty special. Let's look then at the the pilot book itself, just in terms of, let's just reference the area that this particular pilot book covers then, Lou. It's basically, it runs from a border with Spain, right up around the Golfe du Lyon, follows the coast around through uh, Provence and the Côte d'Azur up to the Riviera. So finishing in Monton, which is right on the border with Italy. We also cover the whole of the coast of Corsica as well. So it's pretty much the whole of the Mediterranean, France and Corsica. And that's a, that's a fairly decent sized piece of area to actually cover. So to actually spend, as you said earlier, to spend this amount of time researching for something like that in this area, it, it must be an absolute joy. Yes, it is. It's a reasonable length of coastline, but it's also pretty intensive because it's so long established. You've got this sort of mix of the old city harbours yeah. with slightly more modern marinas. You've got the anchorages and some of the islands off the coast as well. And then, of course, the wild, mountainous, sort of slightly detached, in many ways, Corsica, in terms of the people there are different to the mainland French. Mm. Yeah, they, they, there's almost a, a bit like I, I would say sometimes in the UK, but there's that kind of island mentality, isn't there? Very much so, very much so. I mean, they would always call themselves Corsicans first. Yep. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm French, very much second. <laughs> and what about then cruising that area? Clearly you need to think a bit more detail about getting the boat up together and getting the boat there in the first place. So what's the sort of thought process for the, the skippers thinking of planning to get down there when we can, getting down to that area? Getting down there, staying there for, for a season or two, I, I would take it you would recommend? Absolutely. I mean, it usually forms part of a, a kind of Mediterranean cruise. In some ways, it's often overlooked. And, and, and there are some sort of misconceptions about France that it's massively expensive and that people tend to go sort of from the bottom of Spain across the Lyrics and then maybe on to Sardinia. And, and some people miss it out, which I think is a mistake. Because... Clearly, it's, it, if you give it the time, you'll get the reward. Absolutely. I think for me, as well as those sort of remote anchorages and, and beautiful blue seas and sandy beaches and this sort of thing, to be able to sail into iconic cities like Cannes or Nice or Antibes or Marseille, it, these are all places where, in actual fact, whilst actually securing a berth, getting a berth there can be difficult in the summer. Remarkably, because a lot of these places are run by the municipalities rather than by private companies, right. the prices are not nearly as extortionate as many other places in the high season. So it's, again, as is often the case, particularly these days, it's about planning, getting ahead of the curve a bit, thinking about where you want to go, getting yourself booked in. Absolutely. What we do every year is, is in many ways, no different to everybody else. We'll plan a sort of mixture of anchorages and small harbours and, and then the places where you know that you'll probably easily get a berth and, yes, booking ahead when you have to and keeping a sort of a plan up your sleeve for when the weather doesn't do what it was supposed to do. <laughs> Which is probably most of the time. What, what about those those infamous winds in that area? I mean, clearly, again, these days, we've got an absolute plethora of navigational aids. We have a huge amount of resources at our disposal in terms of weather forecasting. All good, useful stuff. But it's about your pilot book can actually help point in the right direction to the most reliable bits of information. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, the most notorious wind in in this area is the Mistral, which blows down out of the Rhone. It sends up wicked seas and makes life pretty miserable if you're trying to get to windward anywhere. Yes, as you say, the forecasting has improved just beyond measure, really, in terms of allowing us to make plans to mitigate the effects of a Mistral. But sometimes you've kind of just got to do it in some ways but but yeah we hope to give a mix of both people who have enough anchorages in there and the safe anchorages people always say to us oh but you know we found this secret anchorage that's not in the pilot book well absolutely we don't put in every single anchorage because you can't they may be suitable in incredibly calm weather but they're not a place where we would necessarily be able to recommend sure. you could stay overnight. So there yeah. are always kind of gaps along the coast that, that won't be in the pilot. But what we try and do is the ones that are in the pilot are ones that we're familiar with and do the job that we know that we say they can do. 
that two-way traffic is really important, isn't it? Because you're not there all the time. You can't be making these additions, these corrections, because there's always things changing. So you're relying on two-way traffic from those that are actually in the area visiting the places that you recommend and the places that you reference. Absolutely. As you say, no, we can't be everywhere. We do have a, a fabulous network built up over decades of people who live in the area, people who regularly cruise in the area. Because you each other where their angle is that they're coming from, which puts their information probably on a slightly different level mm. to, to people who you're not familiar with, who will write in saying, oh, there's a new pontoon in Figari. And you'll think, okay, all of the information helps to build up a picture because you, if you then get two or three different notes about somewhere you think okay right that's definitely a place that we've got to pull into next year that yes. sort of thing yes so so yeah it's kind of about building up a picture from all sorts of different sources obviously our readers are fabulous we encourage people to give us that feedback because it's always useful you talk about in your pilot book about the the clear the island of corsica about the as you say the cote d'azur the french riviera but you also got in there references to the waterways that run behind the coast and that's quite an interesting area by itself, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's a, a pretty popular way of getting down to the Meds from the UK. It's possible to traverse the whole of France from the north coast all the way down. Likewise, the other popular route is the Canal Lateral Lagaron, coming into the Canal du Midi waterway. But the sort of approach is from the Rhone, the waterways coming down from Bézier and across to Set, and, and again, tying back into the road. The last time we did the research, we weren't on a boat or, or a barge, unfortunately. We right. were on sort of cars and bicycles, but it's such a lovely area. I would encourage people to take a look. It's a great, great place. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these pilot books and the editors we've been talking to on these series of podcasts bring to life, obviously, areas that they know, for, as you quite rightly say, from the sea. But actually making a bit of time getting your feet dusty, you can often explore and find whole new areas. And one that fascinated me was, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, the City of Dead Waters, a, a perfect example of a medieval fortified city, you say. And that sounds just inspiring by itself. You can almost half dream of being there. Absolutely. It, well, yes, I think, to be honest, that area was a, a pretty sort of, I don't think I'm being too cruel in saying a fetid swamp back in the day. And, and obviously mosquito-ridden malaria issues or this sort of thing we can now look on it as somewhere that's very impressive beautiful and, and interesting but yes I, I feel for the poor folk who were there kind of building it <laughs> yeah well they made a fine job since so let's look a bit more granular detail from your perspective of a few recommendations to inspire us to visit this area lose top three of harbors or anchorages in the area that's covered by your pilot book Okay, yeah, it's always tricky, isn't it? Picking your kind of main ones and the reasons for it. Always. It's, I, it's sort of desert island discs, isn't it? <laughs> we could play the music as well, Lou, but I think you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try and stay on the plot here if we can. But yeah, you're, no, you're absolutely right, of course. And it, it is subjective, it's just your opinion. But hey, absolutely, listen, you, yeah. you write the book, the area, and particularly, I think, if you could, it'd be quite interesting to know of a couple of places that are really easy to get into, but perhaps a, a couple that might be a little bit more of a challenge, but worth the effort. My first pick, I'm kind of going to work around the coast in, in a sort of heading eastwards direction. Yeah. There are 
a couple of very pretty little harbours of Collior and Saber down right down near the Spanish border, and, and they are incredibly pretty. But I'm going to actually plump for a, a, a harbour called Set. Right. And it's further up into the, the Gulf du Lyon. It's a French Venice in some ways, in that it's the town with lots of sort of little canals and water coming through. It's right on the junction between the Etangs and the, the Canal de Ronasset and the Canal du Midi and with the Mediterranean. So it's a real crossroads of a place. It's got a very well-established fishing fleet. And so the fish and the seafood is obviously excellent there. It's a real place. It's a real town. It's not just a sort of tourist town. Yeah. And I know people who've overwintered there and loved it. Okay. It's safe and it's easy to get into and it's got good facilities. So I guess that ticks a lot of my boxes. It's not iconic or, or particularly kind of special. It's pretty workaday in many ways, but I love it. That's part of its charm. And as you say, not far uh, from facilities and Montpellier Airport, not too far away as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty good connections. And in the last few years, it's had a bit of a revamp and there are more yacht berths there than, than there were. But I think get there quickly because I think <laughs> right. um, they've uh, recently opened up some super yacht berths in one part of the harbour. So it's going to be on the map. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so relatively easy to get in and out of, but worth worth putting it onto our pilot plan for, for ourselves. Where else, Lou? When you say difficult to get into, we don't have the same sort of constraints in terms of tides and and very little in the way of sort of certainly moving sandbars and things like that. So there's nowhere really tricky to get into, although with any weather and a strong onshore wind, there are places that you wouldn't necessarily, well, you definitely wouldn't want to try and get into. (laughs) If I was going to go for, for that sort of thing, I'd go for Bay de Figari. Uh, Bay de Figari is uh, down on the south and southwest uh, coast of Corsica. And it's a place where you have to be a little bit careful coming into it, just so that there are a few rocks that you just need to kind of pick up and know where you are in relation to them, although there is a boy channel coming in there. But it's the place where you go when you've tried to get into Bonifacio. And you've been try- sort of nearly run over by ferry boats ah, right. and speed boats right. and got shouted at by the master <laughs> and told to leave. And it's the utter chaos and noise that goes on in Bonifacio in the, in the summer. And you come out of there and you go, OK, Let's where are we going else. now? <laughs> um, we usually end up in Bay de Figari. It's a, uh, you can anchor in there. There are some berths in there if you want. Okay. And it's just... The complete opposite. It's tranquil, it's quiet. Ah, lovely. And you can just sort of and breathe. Yes, yes, relax. This is get get the wine out, get the glasses, here we go. You can uh, <laughs> get get the chicken in the oven and away you go. <laughs> well no, actually it's even better than that. The last time we were there there were a couple of youngsters came around in a small little dinghy saying we're taking orders for pizzas and no. and, and wine and we'll deliver them. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, what? Oh, for goodness sake. So oh, goodness me. Unfortunately, Ron had already started cooking, which oh. was gutting. Oh, dear. Get him organised. Get him better organised. Mind you, how I he's... know, I know. But no, that, that was, uh, as I say, Bonifacio, it's, it's an absolutely amazing place to yes. go into. 
but so getting a birth in there yeah. is almost <laughs> impossible. Mind you, having and, said and, that, of course, your response on the Isle of Wight, where you're living, uh, to, of course, that particular boat, is you do have your own ice cream boat, of course, don't you? Absolutely, yes, <laughs> yes. Not quite the same thing. <laughs> Haven't seen him round for a while. But... <laughs> I think he's, he's probably taken the year off, I would have thought, if he's got any sense. I, anyway. I suspect so, yeah. <laughs> but, well, you, you have ice cream and croissant. <laughs> Croissant boats in France. Oh my goodness me! Oh my goodness! Oh uh, <laughs> so what? <laughs> they yeah no seriously they delivered your croissant baguette to you first thing in the morning. Goodness! Wow! 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 You've had a few experiences I know from writing different pilot books. What about sort of the best and worst experience while you've been writing this particular one, Lou? For you? Oh golly! I think the best experience probably was. Oh, there are so many. I think the sailing around Corsica in particular was just amazing in terms of a good breeze. Okay, most of it was windward work, but actually we don't mind that. Slicing up to windward in the not too big a seas and blue sky and blue sea and pulling into a anchorage like, I don't know, Campbellmore or somewhere like that and you think this can't get much much better and then you think as I said earlier the immensity the privilege that we have to also to sail right into the center of these amazing old cities and park up I think is incredibly special worst times no no nothing nothing bad apart from probably a a few days of Mistral going Actually, I'm quite tired of this now. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Can it stop now, please? Hol- <laughs> holding down there pretty good, but again, it always comes down to good ground tackle and, and having plenty of chain and perhaps even thinking then, particularly in some areas down there, they advise you or, or certainly recommend that you more up getting a line ashore. Predominantly, we're talking, yeah, anchorages in France. Because of the threat to the marine environment, and the importance of seagrass beds to the ecology and as nurseries for for young fish and all these sorts of things. There are a lot of restrictions in terms of marine parks, marine reserves, where you're not allowed to anchor in any places where you might interfere with the seagrass, which has, in places there are a lot of restrictions that used not to be there. In some places, They've also, like the Calanque on, on the Provence coast, you've got restrictions on the size of boats coming in there. So nothing over 500 tonnes in places, nothing over 50 tonnes, which doesn't restrict most of us. And, and, and so tied to that, it tends to be that there'll be boys that are laid and managed and not, obviously you'll be charged to use those, which, you know, is a, it's not the freedom, if you want, from anchoring. But I think in terms of being responsible I think it, it, it's a good thing. And so I realise that it, it does restrict people who are on extremely limited budgets, but there are still places to anchor that you yeah. are permitted to anchor. But I think having a care and respect for, for, mm. for the environment where we are, I think is because of the numbers of boats that, that are involved now, I think it, it, it's inevitable. Well, I think it's the right thing. Yeah, no, I, th- I think so too. I and mean, look, we're seeing it in this country. We're seeing it in most countries now that they've got some responsible attitude to giving some thought to the ecology. And look, we're getting wild oysters being cultivated here and, and other places. It's uh, some interesting things, some very, very interesting projects going on. They're starting to get some weight behind them, I think, Lou. Absolutely, absolutely. It's vital. It's vital. And uh, we support it 
and and I think the costs involved for for maintaining the moorings and that mm. sort of thing, I think you can't expect it to kind of live quite as free as was possible twenty thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah, that, but that's the way it is, and and we're being if we're caring about the environment as as people who are using the water, then we've got to recognise that these restrictions can apply. Let's look a bit more, if we may, to some of the other uh, facets about this pilot book as we reach the conclusion of today's podcast. Where has the time gone? What's been the biggest challenges to you for, for putting this pilot book together? Oh, I think, well, I mean, outside of the obvious kind of um, travel restrictions and, and, and that sort of thing, I, I think we're very conscious of trying to develop ways to keep the pilot books as up to date as we can. So we always do a, an annual supplement for people that they can download on the Imre website. Yeah. But I think looking to the future, we're looking at different ways of distributing the information in, in terms of digital sort of windows yeah. in different ways. And, yeah. and that, of course, I think we're gradually changing from a very pen and pencil based system here scribbling in the book and, and then coming back and typing stuff up and drawing plans by hand and this sort of thing into probably a more digital based updating system which hopefully will keep the books apps hopefully more up to date yeah. not on a live basis but on rather than once a year maybe sure. a few times during a season who yeah. knows yeah yeah well it- interesting times and we have this technology available to us to help one thing we have to say when we're looking at the area you're cruising in particularly live of course is the food and no podcast with with yourselves would be complete with perhaps your top regional dish from that area or two what would you recommend oh Without a shadow of a doubt, the oysters from the Etang down <laughs> in the southwest, it, it, just unbelievable. And they all have their own terroir. They're, it's like wine, wow. as in the, you have the Etang du Tao, Etang du Beau. They are considered as different as a, a Sancerre and a, a Chablis. Wow. You just you wet the whistle, just the, the description of it. But it's also it's, that... It is unbelievable. And, and I mean, often... You're not going to smart restaurants. You're usually going to a sort of cooperative Mm. outlet, sort of cafe bar almost. There's nothing sophisticated in terms of the environment, but (laughs) they just let the food is the the seafood. The oysters are just straight out and on the plate. And, 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 And it's just unbelievable. So let the food do the talking. Absolutely, yeah. It, it was a complete revelation to me. I mean, I've always been fond of Brittany oysters, to me, are outstanding. But as I say, they market them as individual species from different places. Lou, I, I can't believe the time has passed so quickly. We could talk a lot more about the area. Of course, we could. We could talk about the pilot book. But listen, I, I think you've got the flavour over. Is there, is there anything that I should have asked? I think what we try and do with the pilot books is is not just to give the bare bones data of the harbours. It's about trying to to give a little bit more background information, some of the history and culture of the places where we go to, yeah. so that Good. when we do get there, we it allows us to, to enjoy it more, I think. Yeah. When you've done a, a little bit more reading, rather than just treating each place as another harbour yeah if you know something of the history of the place i think it it helps me to place yes 
Well, you certainly do that in your book, Lou, because I've never actually seen a pilot book with the actual history of the countries that you're talking about from the dawn of time almost. Just amazing, absolutely amazing. And what a great read during the quieter winter months to actually get some inspiration for that cruising ground down there. Lou, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly have, Kerry. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. No, looking forward to to continuing. Lovely. Well, Lou Haykel, thank you very much indeed for joining us for today's podcast. Join me again as I meet up with more of the people who research and contribute to the many books and guides that they may produce as we explore sailing topics with Imray. <laughs>